right, Victory Church, man, it is, it's been good to worship with you guys today, and I love you guys so much. I'm so blessed to be a part of this family, um, and I just want you guys to know that. So I've, um, I've gotten to know you guys a little bit. I've been here for about four weeks now, so I've gotten to know you guys, several of you guys, a good bit. You guys have gotten to know me a little bit and my family, and so something else I want you to know about me is sometimes I get, I can get a little excited. I get a little excited. I mean, just in case you didn't know that about me, I do. And I want you to know that it is okay for you to get a little excited as well. That is okay. That is welcome in this place. And I don't want you to feel like you have to. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you want to, then that's okay. We have something to be excited about in this house, man. We were talking about what Jesus Christ has done in our lives, the redemption, the freedom that he has given us, how he is making us, molding us, and changing us, and using us to impact the environment around us. So I don't know about you, but I get a little excited about that. And, I mean, it's crazy to me because sometimes, you know, people will we'll watch football games. We'll watch all these sporting events. We get so excited. We're like, whoa, man, that's awesome, you know. And then we come to church and we're like, oh, my goodness, i got to be rigid. I'm not even going to breathe so they don't think I'm moving. I mean, it's just it's kind of weird, man. That's, that's, yeah, it's just weird. But, so, I mean, if, if God grabs a hold of you, man, if God grabs a hold of you, the Holy Spirit grips you, and, you know, you want to raise your hand. You want to give God a shout-out. You want to do a little jig in your seat or something. That's okay. It is okay to get excited. That's not weird, man. It's weird not to do that. Man, I'm excited about this. It is awesome. So, you know, now we're going for real, authentic worship here, okay? Notice I said the word real. So real, not weird. Real, not weird. So the weird stuff, yeah, like running around the room, acting crazy, or like, you know, running around your neighbor screaming in their ear, hallelujah. You know, acting crazy like that. Yeah, that, that's just weird stuff, man. Or like doing backflips or like somersaults or diving out the chairs. I mean, if I got to call 911, I'm going to tell them you go to the church down there. Okay, I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying. So real, not weird. So just bottom line, guys, you know, feel free. Um, if you get excited, if you're excited about what God's doing in your life, you don't have to, but if you want to, if God grips you. You want to raise your hand or give God a, a shout out. That is okay. You're not going to distract me. So I want you guys to know that. Um, with that said, let's dive into the sermon here. So we're continuing on in our sermon series on community. Community. We've been on this the last few weeks now on community. And uh, so far we've hit on community, the individual call. The individual call. The fact that every single one of us is called to be a good neighbor. Showing love, compassion, and mercy to everybody that we come into contact with. And also the fact that you know, we've hit on community and the church. Community and the church. The fact that we are the body of Christ. We're the body of Christ. The fact that we're called to do intimate life together with, with God and with each other. And then last week, we hit on community in a sinful world. Community in a sinful world. We hit on the fact that every single one of us struggles with sin. Every single one of us. It's not like, okay, before, yeah, I was saved. Before I was a Christian, I struggled with sin. But now I'm perfect. I'm like a step down from Jesus. Man, every single one of us struggles with sin. And we need each other. Every single one of us is in a spiritual war together. And we need each other to fight it. And every single one of us is called to accountability. We're called to accountability. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so you may be healed. It's very hard to pray for one another and, and, and you know, be healed through that process without someone else. Unless you're looking in the mirror and that would just be awkward. So we're called to accountability, guys. So that's what we've hit on so far in this community sermon series. And today we're going to be wrapping up this series on community with community and discipleship. Community and discipleship. The big idea here today is as disciples of Christ, we are called to sacrificial love and community with God and with each other. As disciples 
of Christ. We are called to sacrificial love and community with God and with each other. Let's pray. God, I, I, uh, I thank you so much for this family that you've given us, God, this church that we've, you've given us. And it's not these walls, God. We thank you for these walls, God. But, but we thank you for the people, the body of Christ that you've given us, that is Victory Church. And we can claim that title of victory because we have so much victory through you because of what you've done in our lives, God, the transformation that you've given us. And God, I pray that we be a people that reflect that transformation, that we don't hold back from the love that you've given us, that, that we are compelled to move in your direction because we are so excited about what you have done in our life. And no matter how that comes in our life, because every one of us is different, God, I pray that you help us to not hold back to not hold back our love from you and our love for others because you don't hold your, back, your love back from us. And God, I pray that over this church. I pray that we be a, a people that just surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in this place, that we are spirit-filled people, that we, we are made and molded in the image of Christ all the more, God. God, I pray that, uh, that you come in this place, that we can feel your presence so thick. And that when we leave this place, there's no way that we can leave without knowing that we have been impacted, we have been touched by the God of the universe. God, I pray all these things. And I also pray, God, that you take over this sermon. I pray that these words are your words. If you want to change anything at all, you change it, God. God, get me out of the way. Get us out of the way, Father, and just use us. Show us. Teach us. Heal us, Father. Break us of anything that ha has nothing to do with Jesus in our life. God, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the main text that we're going to be in today is John chapter 13 verses 34 through 35. So we're going to, we got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to be moving quickly at points. So uh, put your seatbelt on and jump in, into John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. If you don't have your Bible, we got this big screen right up here. So, all right. So John chapter 13, 34 through 35, starting with verse 34. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So let's, I want to kind of break those verses up. There's two verses, and I want to dive into each one individually for a bit, okay? So let's dive into verse 34. I'm going to read this one more time for us. Verse 34, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. Another. So when Jesus gives this commandment, this new commandment, he gives this um, it, when, when the disciples, when him and the disciples are gathered together at the Last Supper. The Last Supper is just him and the disciples, and that's it. And so he gives this commandment in light of the fact, knowing that he's about to go to the cross and die, sacrificially die, because of sacrificial love that he has for us, that he had for the disciples and that he has for us and so when he gives this commandment to love one another, this is a sacrificial type of love that he's talking about. These disciples don't know it yet, but that's what he's talking about, sacrificial love. And then when he uses this words, one another, one another, see, again, when we go back to that room, if we're, we put ourselves in a room, we're a fly on the wall, so to speak, and we can see Jesus and these disciples gathered together, there's nobody else. And he's saying, guys, love one another. He's talking about us. He's talking, he's talking to the disciples, and he's saying, essentially, guys, I want you to sacrificially love each other. You disciples, followers of Christ, love one another. And then he tells us as Victory Church, guys, I want you to sacrificially love one another. 
love each other. It's a call to sacrificial love within the body of Christ. For us, that's here at Victory Church, called a sacrificial love. And then see also with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet, right? That's at Pentecost. So Jesus hasn't died at this point yet. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, love was going to take on a new power in their lives as well. Because before it was God dwelling amongst them. Now it's God dwelling inside of us because the Holy Spirit lives in and through us. And he allows us to love, live out that love in radical ways. And they were about to experience that here in a little bit. And back in uh, the early church era, the pagans that were around these churches and around these Christians, see, it was, it, there were several quotes where these pagans would actually know them because of the way that they loved each other. They would be like, man, look how much those guys love each other. That's crazy. Look how much they love this Christ they're talking about. I mean, they're willing to give their life and everything that they have for, because they love each other so much, because they love this Jesus Christ so much. And it just absolutely blew their mind. They knew that they were Christians because of their love for God and for each other. And it was just so incredibly radical because, guys, love is the evidence sacrificial love is the evidence that we belong to Jesus. It's the evidence that we belong to Jesus. And the way that we display that evidence of that love, that sacrificial love, is by laying down our life for our Christian brothers and sisters. See, it's so important. If we, if we were to step back in time, um, you know, in the book of Acts, several of those Christians, several of those churches, and even a lot of times we separate us, ourselves from this. Even countries today struggle with this, where they have targets on their back, where when they step out in faith and they claim the name of Jesus, what they're doing, it's, it's not like, oh man, that was a great worship experience. Yeah, I'm going to become a, a Christian. You know, I'm going to go over here and, and uh, you know, just do whatever I want. But uh, yeah, I'll do this Christian thing. Man, when they step out in faith and they claim the name of Jesus, they have thought about it. They have counted the cost. They have weighed the outcomes. And what they're saying is, I love Jesus so much. I want to follow Jesus so much. He is Lord and Savior of my life that no matter what, I am even willing to give my life for Jesus, for the sake of his church. That's how much I love Jesus. Because when they stepped out in faith and declared the name of Jesus, they put a target on their back because several people wanted to kill them. And that still happens today. Because you contrast that with here in America, so many people that claim the name of Jesus, and we don't barely see any sacrifice like that. We don't, I mean, we look around, we can see like little pockets of things, but, but man, it, it doesn't really affect us because it's so far away. It doesn't really impact us that much. See, instead of rather than adopting this sacrificial form of love, we instead adopted, several Christians have adopted this mindset of cheap grace. Cheap grace where we, we want to take from Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. We want to take salvation from it, almost like he's this cosmic vending machine but we want to give absolutely nothing back to him and to his people, even though he's given his very life for us. We want to give nothing back to him. Superficial, plastic, just fake love is all that so many Christians have to offer our Lord and Savior, who again sacrificed his very life for us and sacrificial love. Guys, we are called to so much more. 
We are called to so much more. God longs for so much more with us. And it's not because he's this overbearing father that's just like, you know, I, you better love me. You better love me or I'm going to smite you or something like that. It's not like that. God is not a, this mean, evil, hateful father. God longs for relationship with us. Relationship that's true. It's authentic. It's pure. It's real. Because I'm going to tell you something, man. Love without sacrifice, it's only selfishness with the mask on. It's fake. It's nothing. God longs for our heart, man. He longs for true, genuine love, authentic love, and that requires sacrifice. He modeled it for us, and he continues in that process, and he asks us, he invites us into that love relationship, that love dance, so to speak, with him. And when we open ourselves up to this sacrificial love, man, we open ourselves up to so many blessings that God wants to give us, so many ways that he wants to come in and impact our life and the community, the environment around us. Because, man, when we open ourselves up to not only his sacrificial love, but pouring that sacrificial love out onto other people around us, that's when lives are changed. That's when revivals happen. That's when the, we impact the environment around us, not only in a church, but in a community. And it's absolutely incredible what God can do. No shackle, no barrier, no prison can hold back sacrificial love. It is unstoppable. In his book, Tortured for Christ, Richard Wormbrand says, I have seen Christians in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on their feet, tortured with red-hot iron pokers, and whose throats spoonfuls of salt had been forced, being kept afterward without water, starving, whipped, suffering from cold, and praying with fervor for the communists. This is humanly inexplainable. That is the love of Christ which is poured out in our hearts. Man, sacrificial love knows no boundaries, no boundaries at all. Even the very prisons that the enemy tries to trap us in can become beacons of light, lighthouses of sort that shine in the dark and dying world to where people around us, the hurting, the lost people can't help but to see that light. And we defeat the enemy. We defeat Satan from the very prison that he tried to trap us in because nothing can hold back sacrificial love. There is no prison, no chain, no shackle that can stop it's God's sacrificial love for us, our sacrificial love for him, and our sacrificial love for each other. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And again, the love of God referred to here is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. There is no other type of love, guys. No other type. Any other type of love is, is layered with mask upon mask upon mask, upon mask, upon mask, to the point that even the person wearing the mask no longer knows their true identity. It's fake. It's superficial. We've gotten into this game of putting masks on, pretending to do this thing called a love relationship with Jesus and each other. But God calls us to so much more. He calls us to so much more. And you may never actually be called to literally lay down your life for the sake of Christ and his church. But you can show sacrificial love in other ways. In other ways. And we're all called to show it. A good way to start is by getting down and washing one another's feet and sacrificial service. John 13, 3-9 says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands. 
that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you will know. You will never wash my feet ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. And when he says not all of you right there, what he's referring to is um, Simon or um, Judas Iscariot was there as well. And so that's the one that was not clean because Judas was pretending to do this discipling thing, but pretending to love Jesus and follow Jesus that he wasn't. So that's what he's referring to there at the end. And see, when Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me, he's referring to being washed, being cleansed by the, the salvation of Jesus where he's died for our sins to cleanse us. And when we step out into that love relationship with him, just fall into his loving arms, he completely washes us. The word tells us wider than snow and he cleanses us. But unless we willingly step out into his already outstretched loving hands, then we cannot be washed. We cannot be cleansed because Jesus is the only one that can cleanse us. And when he says that Peter does need to have his feet washed he doesn't need to have everything else washed but he needs to have his feet washed right see again it's talking about how we have been saved by God when we when you have been saved you've been saved nothing can take that away from you nothing can take that away from you salvation is permanent it is forever when you have been adopted by Christ the word tells us adoption did you guys know that when somebody's adopted you can't take that back you can't take that back when you're saved you are saved when your name is in the Lamb's book of life it cannot be erased it cannot be erased However, we see Jesus telling Peter, again, that he does need his feet washed. He needs his feet washed. So what's he referring to there? He's talking about the fact that, again, we, we all struggle. Just because we're Christians, man, we're not in heaven yet. I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect. I still struggle every day, man, every day. In fact, I've been struggling with anxiety a lot today and yesterday. I'm just being real. We all struggle. We all do. We all need to go to Jesus and give him those things that we struggle with in our life and be cleansed on a continual basis. It's different from salvation. Once you're saved, you're saved, and that's it. Nothing can take that away, but we all need to continually go to Jesus. Be transparent. Take the mask off. Be willing to look in the mirror and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you, and I need your people around me. That's what he's talking about. See, guys, we go to the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, please save me. Save me. And Jesus picks us up. And he goes to our feet. And he washes. That's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. A God that loves sacrificially. Sacrificial love that knows no boundaries. No boundaries whatsoever. Radical grace and mercy. If we hold back our deepest struggles, those fears, those anxieties, whatever it may be, addiction or, you know, depression or, you know, whatever it may be, it looks different for all of us. We all struggle with different things. And if you're like me, it's a lot of stuff. 
But if we hold back from that because we're like, God, I don't want you to see these areas of my life. I don't want your people to see these areas of my life. I'm ashamed of it. I'm ashamed of it, God. I don't want you to look at it. Do you realize when we're holding back those things from God, we're holding back the things that Jesus Christ gave his very life to take from us so that he can give us freedom. He came to earth, lived as a man, and died on a cross so that he could take those things from us, so that we could live victoriously, so that we could have new life and be a new creation. When we hold those things back from him, we're holding back the very things he came and died to take. They don't belong to us, guys. They don't belong to us. They belong to him. He gave his life and paid for them. And he cleanses us consistently. John 13, 12 through 15 says, When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. See, Jesus has completely flipped the table on these guys. See, not only has he washed these guys' feet, which again, man, that is just nasty, bro. I mean, like, the guys that had to wash the feet, they were like, they were servants. And even the servants that had to wash feet, they were like, man, I got to wash these feet again? Like, dude, I've done this three times this week. Is this my job now? Come on, man. You're like, get down there. You're washing. You're like, dude, your feet are nasty. What you got, like, growth on there? What you got, like, some mold between your toes? Somebody give me a hazmat suit or something. This is nasty. Gosh, and all stinky. I mean, these dudes, they, they walked around in sandals. They didn't have Nikes or Air Jordans. When these guys wanted to dunk a basketball, they did it in, in sandals. Jordan had nothing on these guys. I mean, it's nasty. The filth, the, the stank that, that was on these guys' feet. This was not just some, oh, yeah, here, let me wash your perfectly shine toes and feet here that's been polished already. This was nasty. People did not want to do this. This was a job of a servant. But Jesus did it. He got down on his hands and his knees, and he cleaned their stanky, nasty, hairy feet and the filth on it. And guess what? Jesus was the master that they were following, right? So they were following Jesus. What does that mean? Jesus gets down. He washes their feet. What do they have to do? They went, what? what, what, what? Now I got to get down. God's telling me I need to get down. Jesus was telling them they need to get down. And they need to wash each other's feet. Because they, in order to follow him, have to do the same thing he's doing. But he modeled it. He did it first. And he continues to do it. We are called to wash each other's feet. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing that we got to know. These guys, these disciples, man. You know, we think of the, all the 12 disciples like, oh, you know, they're, they're these just great guys. And they were just these, the most godly men ever known to earth, I mean, it, but we couldn't be farther from the truth. Guys, these, on, these guys honestly thought that they were going to get power. They were going to get prestige out of following Jesus. Let's check this out. Matthew 20, 20 says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her son. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want? He asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Now hold up here. Hold up. When I, when I read this, I kind of think about that, you know, that mom that like you're just scared to go out in public and you're like, oh, my gosh, what is she going to say now? 
what, what is this lady going to say? Oh, my, she's following me. And you go home like, you know, hey, Jesus, this is my mom, you know, and, and, and then she's like, hey, boy, go, go upstairs real quick. I want to talk to Jesus. I want to talk to Jesus. So, Jesus, I know you're the Savior of the world and all. I know you're the Savior of the world. But if it's okay, is, can Junior here, can Junior upstairs, well, go up and do your chores there real quick. All right. So, can, can he be a part of your kingdom? Can, can he, like, you know, have a throne right next to you? It doesn't have to be as big. It can be a little bit smaller, just plated with gold and some diamonds and just right up next to you. You know what I'm saying? And Junior's, like, hollering down, Mom, you're embarrassing me. It's like, go up and do your chores, boy. You're only 30. You're still a baby. I mean, does anybody else have a mom like that in here? Anybody have a mom? I think I saw Andreas over there. I'll be praying for you. Okay. But, man, seriously, though, she did. This is in the Word. She did this. I'm not making that up. I mean, she is funny, but it's like, oh, are you serious? This actually happened. And if that's not enough, these guys even argued about who was the best. These disciples, the, the 12 disciples that God was going to use to change the world, man, this is what happened. They argued about who was going to be the best. Luke 9, 48 says, an argument started among them about who was going to be the greatest of them. I mean, were these guys not conceited or what? I mean, are you, I mean, does anybody else read this and like, wait, hold on, hold on a second, Jesus, hold on. Did, did we miss something here? I mean, these dudes are jacked up, man, and you're going to like, use these guys to start a revolution, to start like this incredible movement of the gospel throughout. The, they're the early church fathers who wrote the New Testament. These guys, I mean, it's just crazy. So again, they see Jesus washing their feet and sacrificial love, man, this blows their minds. This blows their minds. This blows their agendas, their preconceived notions about what was going to happen, their timetables, their plans. Jesus has come in and completely wrecked them. But in a good way. In a good way. All right. We are called to do the same, guys. We are called to wash each other's feet sacrificially as Jesus has done. Now, this doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to have to wash somebody's feet, literally, although if somebody would like to give me a foot massage, that is completely welcome. But you may not literally have to wash somebody's feet. But there are other ways that we can show sacrificial love to each other, and we need to be diligent about searching for ways to show sacrificial love towards each other. Guys, rather than just simply viewing each other as a means to an end, Rather than just, you know, looking at ourselves like, what can I get from these people? What can I get from this church? What can I get out of God's salvation? We need to instead be looking out into the world like, what can I do for Christ? Because he's done so much for me. What can I do for other people? What can I do for my church? Because God has done so much for us. See, in looking at people, when we look at people in the world around us, man, we need to look through the lens of Christ, through the love of Christ. When he sees people... He sees a beautiful creation. When you see a homeless person or you see somebody that's struggling with addiction, you see somebody that's depressed, you know, or, or somebody that's just so shy they can't even talk to somebody, and you're like, man, what's wrong with that person? I'm going to tell you what God sees. He sees this beautiful creation, his beautiful little boy or his little girl that he loves without measure. He loves just as much as you or me. And guess what? I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people, and I have definitely been there in my life with struggles. The person that people point at, like, man, look at that guy. He loves every single one of us, and praise God. Praise God that he is a God that loves us despite that. Because guess what? None of us would have that free gift of salvation if he didn't. 
None of us. It's every single one of us, guys. We need to take the masks off. We need to stop looking superficially and look at the heart as God does. He looks at the heart. It doesn't matter the clothes you wear, what you look on on the outside. You haven't taken a shower in a week. Please take a shower, but if you can't, that's okay. It doesn't look at those things. See, here's the thing, too. With God, we are all as filthy rags. Do you know that? We're all as filthy rags. No matter what we do in our life, we can never earn our way to God. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus directed God's attention because of the sin that we had committed to himself and said, God, I will pay for this. He went to the cross and he died. And when he died, those filthy rags that we were standing bare before God with, he comes up next to us. He takes his cloak and he wraps it around us. He says, God, now look at them. Now look at them. They're one of us now. They're our children. That's the kind of love that God has for us. That's the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. In your homes, with your spouse, with your kids, you know, out in public, wherever you're at, asking yourself on a consistent basis, what can I do for others? How can I impact others' life? Not just me focused, but others focused because of our incredible sacrificial love for God and for each other. And rather than getting mad at the guy that's going down the street that gives you that universal good luck sign, you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm sure many of you have done it too. I've done it. I'm just being honest. But rather than being mad about that, forgiving them. Because you know what? We have been forgiven for so much more. We've been forgiven for so much more. Sacrificial love does not keep scores. It does not say that, you know what? I'll do this for you if you do this for me. It says, I'll do this for you regardless of what you do for me. And I'll ask for nothing in return. And a lot of us out here, a lot of people, and I've been there, for us, it might not be so much we struggle with looking on the outside, but maybe we struggle with looking in the mirror. Maybe for us, one of the first steps that God is calling to us to, as far as the sacrificial love, is looking in the mirror and seeing ourselves as God sees us, the sacrifice that he made for us. And rather than superficially looking at ourselves as a beautiful creation of God, because I'm going to ask you something, man, how can we sacrificially love God with everything in us and sacrificially love others when we don't even love ourselves as the beautiful creation that God made us into? Every single one of us is beautiful in God's eyes because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's not because of what we've done. It's because of what God has done. And again, this call to sacrificial love, it's also within, it's within the body of Christ, each other. So sacrificially, how can, I, how can I serve my body of Christ? How can I volunteer? How can I serve? What can I do for my church? Not what can my church do for me, but what can I do for my church? In order to engage in community with God and with each other here at Victory Church, we must practice sacrificial love, diligently searching for ways to serve and love on one another. So I want to shift gears here. We've been talking about sacrificial love. And I want to go to this next verse. It's John 13, 35, which says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one 
another. So here Jesus gives us kind of the, the result of displaying the sacrificial love to God and to others. He says, all people will know that you are my disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember that I am with you always to the end of the age. I mean, this is the great commission where God calls us to be disciples and to make disciples. The word go in this text, this is in the present tense. So it means going, while you're going, you know, whatever you're doing, wherever you're at, wherever you go, wherever your feet are, you are called to imitate Christ, to be a reflection of Christ's love to everybody around you and to share the name of Jesus and the gospel message, no matter where we are at. The question that stems from this is exactly like, what is a disciple, man? Like, what is a disciple? How do I do this disciple thing? Right? Like, practically speaking, what does that look like in my life? And this text tells us two different things. Two things that are imperative. We're going to be a disciple of Christ and make disciples of Christ. The first thing this text tells us is that baptism, every believer is called to baptism, which is an expression of our faith, our love for Jesus. It's a symbol. Right? Baptism does not save us. Okay? There's nothing special about the water. Right? It's a symbol of what God has done in our life. And so when we are dunked in the water, it's a representation of dying to the old self. Now, if you get baptized here, we're not actually going to hold you under, okay, and, and, and until you die. That's not going to happen, okay? But it's a symbol. So it's a representation of us dying to the old self. And what it does is also gives us a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us, where he has died for our sins. And then we were raised out of the water. We were raised to walk in new life. We were resurrected from the old self to the new self, the new creation, the beautiful creation that Jesus has created us into. That's a representation of the resurrection of Jesus, where he resurrected in order to give us life. It's just absolutely amazing. Every single one of us is called to this. And second, it tells us that we need to teach and observe everything, and this is everything that Christ has commanded. So this is teaching people what it means to be a disciple, teaching people you know, what it means to actually follow Christ, teaching people what it actually means to, to you know, do this thing called life together as a church. What is a church? What is this Bible? How do I read this? How do I pray? So often we, we forget that people that are just saved, new Christians, they don't, they don't understand these things. When people can be radically saved and not really understand how to read the Bible, so how to do these things, how to be transparent, take the mask off so we can actually experience that love relationship with God and love relationship with each other where it's not superficial, it's sacrificial love and it's real, genuine, and raw. That's what it means to make a disciple, to come alongside them, helping them to bear their burdens and saying, come on, I'll show you. Let's do this together. I'm going to take a step and you take a step. That's what it looks like. But I'm going to ask you something. How can we make disciples for Jesus Christ if we're not actually being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Let me ask that again. How can we make disciples of Jesus if we're not actually being disciples of Jesus, if we're not actually diving into the Word on a consistent basis, if we're not actually engaging in our prayer life, if we're not actually taking the mask off, being real with Christ, actually doing this thing called life and the body of Christ, that we're not just called to just come here and, and just gather together a little bit. We're actually called to do life together. How can we actually teach people how to do things like this and be a disciple of Christ if we're not actually engaging in it ourselves? 
And this call, man, it's ongoing. It's ongoing. So, so often people will think, oh, well, well, yeah, I was a disciple of Christ, but, you know, now I'm a discipler. I'm discipling people like I'm holier than thou or something. But, guys, it's an ongoing thing. It, it's like this. You're a disciple of Christ, and then if I had another hand, I could put it right next to it. But if you're a disciple of Christ, and you do it together like this, you're a disciple, and you're discipling at the same time. It happens at the same time time. It's not like you're a disciple once and then you're a discipler later. You do it at the same time. And so often this is missed with Christians and with churches. We are to do these things consistently, engaging in our individual relationship with God, relationship with the church, doing community, doing life together, engaging in the word of God, while also showing and teaching other people how to do this. And again, it's an ongoing thing. It's not like God just says one day, man, well done, well done, man. You met your discipleship making quota for a lifetime congratulations man here's some cheeses go play some video games sit on your butt until the angels come and get you man you are good well done man that was that's a record right there how many years is that? good job man and then one day when you're on your california king and your serta mattress the angels are going to go sing little sweet nothings into your ear and whisk you up into heaven man it doesn't work like that it doesn't work like that. There is no retirement for disciples. This is an ongoing thing. And again, we have to continually be a disciple in order to continually make the disciples. And see, what's ironic, man, and in so many churches, there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians in a lot of churches, they'll just say, yeah, you, so you want to hear about this Jesus over here? Well, uh, you know, we got a minister up there, and he can tell you all about Jesus, and you want to be a disciple uh, you, you can go talk to him. He's the discipler of the church. So you just go talk to that guy, and I'm going to give you a Coke. I mean, it's like, dude, look, man. Look, what's ironic about this is that he, that person would be exactly right. And so many people fall into this category. So many people where they think, okay, it's only the job of ministers. But here, here's the ironic thing about it. That person is also a minister. Every single one of us as Christians are ministers. And every single one of us as Christians is called to minister. It's not just the person up on the stage. God gave me the ability to, to run my mouth for whatever reason. And I guess I you know, sometimes can do that a little bit. But you know, that's, that doesn't mean that the person that's preaching is more of a minister than anybody else. We all have different gifts, different talents. God wants to use you and the talents and the gifts that he's given you, the experiences in life that he's given you to impact people around you in ways that I can't do it. And vice versa, that's how this works. When we do life together, God wants to use every single one of us, and every single one of us is a minister, man. So, so often, Christians and churches, they'll, they'll be like, you know, man, pastor, you didn't, you didn't preach good. You know, you didn't preach good enough. I, you didn't encourage me. You know, I'm not getting fed at that church over there. Those, those ministries are horrible. They're just outdated, or they're too this or that, or, you know, that worship's horrible. Well, last time I checked, the Holy Spirit lives inside of every single one of us, man. Every single one of us, right? So here's the thing. Here's an idea. If, if there's ministries that God's putting on your heart, and it's like, man, what if they did it this way? Well, the God of the universe, the God of the impossible lives inside of you, so, man, 
go start some ministries. Go help out with some ministries. If you want outreach opportunities, go help with outreach. If you want, you know, more spirit-led, be a spirit-led person that helps lead other people to be a spirit-led people. So often we get in this mindset that it takes a mountain size of faith to move a mustard seed. But that's not what the word says, is it? It takes a mustard seed of faith to move mountains. God can use one person to impact not only a church, not only a county, not only a state and a nation, but the entire world because the God of the universe, the God of the impossible lives inside of every single one of us. Every one of us. Not just a few select people. Every single one of us has the power of God living inside of us. And so often we let fear cripple us. We use excuses like, man, I don't, I don't know how to talk. You know, I can't talk. Guess what? Moses couldn't either. Moses couldn't. He struggled with that. You know, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. And I can't do this, right? Or we, 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 we don't give God enough time to move. We have our own little timetables, right? And we think, man, like our, our, our perseverance is just like tiny, man. We hardly give God enough time to work. When we're in the middle of whatever he's doing, we'll just leave. And a lot of times, guys, we're right around the corner right around the corner is that revival or that change that god wants to use us to help impact you never know what god is going to do in and through your life ever regardless of fear see satan tries to use fear to cripple us but god uses fear to unleash us regardless of excuses we can come up with all kinds of excuses guys all the time all kinds of excuses but until we're actually willing to get out of our butt and do something, we'll never be used to impact the environment around us. And regardless of cost, of time, of energy and effort, man, God doesn't work on our timetables, on our schedules, on our agendas. He's the God of the universe. This isn't the David Tripp show, the David Platt show, the Billy Graham show, or any of ours. This is the God of the universe's show. This is his church. And he's going to move on his time and his agenda. We never know what he's doing. See, we see life through these little peepholes, man. We see the struggles and the time that we invest through little peepholes. We're like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, look how much this is taking. But see, God sees the blessings from the bigger picture, the things that we don't see. He sees everything. And you never know how God might use you to impact the environment around you. The senior pastor at my former church that I came from, Faith Community Church, his name's Matt. He was a pastor for several years. He came from a, a rough background. He's got an incredible story, and, he's, and I'm thankful for his transparency because talk, he'll talk about that from the stage. And so God uses him. He, 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 man, he, he is just on fire. He is just filled with the Spirit. He loves God. Um, and uh, he got plugged into churches. He became a pastor. And he, for years, for years, he really struggled. He was bogged down by, you know, traditions and held back. And he wanted to, you know, the Holy Spirit to be able to move in his life, in the life of his church. And it was years and years that he went on like this, praying, God, please, you know, what do you want me doing? And then one day, God gives him a vision. He gives him a vision. He's up on this mountain. He gives him a vision of Faith Community Church. And in his words, God gave him this vision of an emergency room where everybody could come in, no matter what was going on, no matter how bad the situation was, and it was completely and utterly run by the Holy Spirit, where people lived in abandonment to Jesus and were moved radically by the Holy Spirit. But see, when God gives him that vision, God doesn't plant the church the next day. He doesn't plant the church the next year. 
or the next year, or the next year, or the next year, or the next year. He waits 10 years, 10 years, and then God says, okay, it's time. And he plants that church, and that to this day is the most spirit-led church I have ever set foot in, ever, where the Holy Spirit completely changes people's lives radically. Healings have happened, and people live in complete and utter abandonment to Jesus. See, guys, if we get caught up in our own agendas, and our own time frames, our own desires, we just might miss the blessings that God has just around the corner for us. We never know what God is going to do in our lives. I mean, how many people in the Bible struggled with fear? You know, struggled with, well, you know, had to suffer, had to wait for God's purpose to be fulfilled in their life. How many people? I mean, how long did Noah have to wait for the flood? All right, how, how long did Abraham have to wait for Isaac? How long did David have to wait to be a king? And how long did Israel have to wait for their Messiah? Even Jesus, man. Jesus had to wait 33 years to fulfill his purpose, to go to the cross. And then he waited three days after that from the time he died to the time that he was resurrected. Guys, I think that we can wait a little bit. I think we can give God time to move in our lives. I think that we can just live in utter abandonment, just, just you know, not holding back. Whether it's our fears that cripple us or or whatever it may be, and allow the Holy Spirit to completely come in, just wreck our agendas, wreck our time frames, wreck everything that we think we need to be doing, and come in and just radically move in our lives individually and in the lives around us. Because, guys, man, when you, when you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, you have tasted and seen radical transformations in your life and the Holy Spirit moving in and through you, you not only want nothing else, but you are called to nothing else. We are called to nothing else but radical transformation, radical love, radical discipleship, and radical community. Where words like discipleship, community, and love are more than just words on a paper that are spoken or that are heard. But they are a love language that is lived out through our lives in utter abandonment to Christ and to his people. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I think if Paul were here today, the thing that he would probably tell us, or something along these lines anyways, is found in Philippians 1.27, which is just one thing. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven... Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or I am absent, I will hear about you. That you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. We should strive for Christ by being disciples, by making disciples, and by loving sacrificially. Because as disciples of Christ, we are called to sacrificial love and to community with God and with each other. The vision that God gave for me here, for, for us at Victory Church here, is for us to be a people, a spirit-led people that live in complete and utter abandonment to Christ in every aspect of our life. And that we reach out to the lost and the hurting people of the county, bringing them into the presence of Jesus. But see, in order for this vision to be fulfilled, it requires us to be a family to come together as the body of Christ 
that God has created and called us to be. Doing life together, taking the mask off. Real, raw, authentic relationships where we live in an utter abandonment to Christ and to his people, each other. We are the each other that God's talking about. The question that I want to be on the hearts and minds of us here at Victory Church is, are we actually being a body of Christ that is sacrificially serving and loving each other and those around us? Are we being a body of Christ that strives for community, which again means with unity, with one heartbeat, one vision, one mindset that is completely and utterly directed, molded, and used by the Holy Spirit to not only impact our lives individually and impact this church, but impact the community around us? Are we a church like the church that's seen in Acts, where people look at us, they look in on us, and they're just absolutely blown away at the sacrificial love that they see of what God is doing in and through our lives and in and through this church where we live in complete abandonment to each other and to Christ? And does it draw them in to the point where they're like, man, I've got to know, I have got to know this Jesus that you're talking about because I've seen the change in your life. And man, I'm hungry for that. Do they want to know this Jesus that we praise, that we sing about, that we worship, that we live for? Are our lives attractive to them? This is what we were created for, guys. It's what we're called to, and it's what we should strive for. Sacrificial love and community with God and with each other. I want to invite the praise team up. Father, I just, I thank you so much for what you've done in our lives in this church, God. The freedom, the redemption, that you've given us, the life that you've given us through Christ, through your sacrifice on the cross for us. God, I pray that you help us to be a people. Teach us what it means to be a people that lives in utter abandonment to you. I pray that we we don't participate in this just fake love where it's nothing more than a word, just selfishness with a mask on, but I pray for absolute abandonment, sacrificial love, Father, for you and for each other. Teach us what it means to be a church. Teach us what it means to be a people that strives for you and holds nothing back. And teach us what it means to actually have community, unity with you and with each other. I pray all of these things in your mighty, powerful, and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Guys, let's stand and worship together.